Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Well, as promised here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo, we have one podcast for you this week to recap what happened in Detroit against the Browns and then to look at what's going to happen on Thanksgiving in Detroit once again. Sal Capaccio here along with Matt Bovee. We are once again outside a very snowy One Bills Drive. I mean, this is a lot of snow, but I will say great job getting the roads cleared. The North Towns and the South Towns is such a drastic difference right now. This was my first time in Orchard Park since the storm last week. And to see these piles of snow still piled outside of the stadium here is insane, considering we are a couple days removed from it. I mean, I left for Detroit on Saturday morning. I probably had four or five inches where I live. And then I got into Canada to drive there, and there was nothing. So to see this is wild. And considering... All of the challenges to know that they are here today. We are on a Tuesday. We're recording this for you outside the facility. They're inside practicing to get everybody here at the facility to have a normal practice is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. And I mean, if you look at the practice fields, like those still haven't been touched. There's a reason they're practicing inside. It works out for them because they're playing another inside game this week. But I just am thinking back to last week. And I know that there have been people out there who are like, why didn't they leave earlier? Why couldn't they have played the game in Orchard Park? And now I see firsthand. I don't know how you could have played a football game out here. There is just every parking lot we see besides the main one out in front of the stadium is covered with feet of snow. And even if you had multiple crews working on this, I don't know how you clear this up anytime soon. Thankfully, there's not another home game until December 11th against the Jets, and we are going to see some temperatures in the 40s. There'll be some melting of snow, but then they can obviously clean out the stadium as best best as possible, and I'm sure they will do that. The other thing that strikes me is, and I've been saying this, Matt, but just reiterates it today by seeing this, the reason the team didn't stay in Detroit is exactly because of what we just said. They're here. They're able to practice here. They're able to get around. There's no reason. would have been way more chaotic and you know, frustrating to try and put things together in Detroit than just being back here. Yeah, it's almost like a regular week now, and I understand it's coming off of such a strange circumstance last week, but you're almost on a level playing field with the Lions a little bit. I know the Lions are playing at home, so you've got to do the traveling, but you come back here, it's such a quick flight. It's probably, what, a 35, 40-minute flight actually in the air. The tailwind, it did take us, I think, exactly that, 35 to 40, and the way there, I think it took us 50 to 55. Oh my God, that's unbelievable. (laughs) So, I mean, you get home in 40 minutes, so these guys were probably home on Sunday night at 7 o'clock, 7.30. They have a normal Sunday night. They practice on Monday, very probably like walk-through. just considering they play the game the day before. You get a full day of practice in tomorrow. You probably do a walk-through tomorrow. Then you fly out to Detroit. So it makes sense that they came back, especially because it was such a short flight. If this was a situation where they had to like play their game in California or something, then maybe you just stay out there. But because it's such a quick flight, it just kind of makes sense. Yeah, you just reminded me. We've got a flight to Detroit tomorrow already. All right, it's already uh-huh. Tuesday. got a uh, travel day on Wednesday. All right. Let's just rewind for a moment to go back to Sunday's game. Let's recap that very quickly here. Very stagnant start for the offense. They then turned it around. They scored on six straight drives.
lives. Eric Wood on the uh, radio broadcast, color analyst, former center. He actually predicted and said during pregame, it was interesting. He said, you know, a lot of times in situations like this, you might have a slow start because you just don't have the reps and the game plan and you got to figure out what's happening. Well, I think it was a combination of that and they just weren't playing well. It was the worst I've seen this offense in a long, long time. I mean, nine plays. They didn't have any first down. So three straight three and outs. I believe they only had 12 total yards. They looked like they were broken and they really kind of did until they had a first down finally. It was a little dump off to Dawson Knox. It was third and long. He threw it over the top. Dawson Knox was able to get the first down by kind of breaking through a tackle. And that sparked them a little bit. They ended up kind of like falling out after that. And then at the end of the half, when they went down the field and they scored the touchdown to Stefan Diggs, that was so needed. And I do think it speaks volumes. They settled for six field goals. They didn't really start clicking until the end of the first half. And they still scored 31 points. Well, that goes to the fact that I was digging in some drive stats. This is amazing. An amazing stat. I, I can't believe this is like, uh, it's got to be pretty unique. The Buffalo Bills actually lead the NFL in drives that have ended in turnovers, 17%, but also lead in drives that have ended in scoring, 48%. They lead the league in drives ending in scores, but also in drives ending in turnovers, which speaks to what you're talking about. The only way they're stopped is by turning the ball over and stopping themselves. Yeah, it's crazy, and that's the thing. It's such a cliche when you go into the season. It's like, oh, what can beat the Bills? What can right. beat the Bills? Well, up to this point, the things that have beaten the Bills have been themselves, and that's not to discredit the teams they've lost to, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Vikings, but if the Bills play a normal Bills caliber game, those games, they're winning all of them, and they're an undefeated team. Now, that doesn't happen during the course of the season, but one of the things that I keep hammering home to people is that you would rather hit this lull yeah. now than later, and we've seen that with this team. They've been able to kind of get through these little tough patches, and I think that's really all this is. Now, there are reasons to be concerned. I don't think the offense is as, di- is as dynamic as it was last year. They don't have as many weapons as they had last year, especially out wide. Gabe Davis has made some drops that I think he's capable of bringing in, but... I do think that they're going to hit their stride, and I still think they're going to be one of the contenders at the end of the year. The offense was stagnant. Josh Allen was not good. He was misfiring a lot of passes early. Maybe the elbow, maybe the lack of practice and reps and things like that. We can point to all of those things, but Matt, once that two-minute warning happened, he had that big throw to Gabe Davis, and then Josh really turned it on. From the two-minute warning of the first half on, 14 of 17 for 170 and a touchdown. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like He played a really efficient second half, and I know that they left some meat on the bone, especially in the red zone. There were some mistakes that were made, but I think that was a get-right game for Josh Allen to an extent. There's more good to take away from his performance than bad, and I understand the start. A lot of people would be like, what is wrong with him? This is four straight games where he has struggled, I don't necessarily see that way. I think it really is an important trait for a football team to have to be able to win a game when you don't play your best and I think that starts with the quarterback and after a really slow start, he was able to get him down the field, he was able to score, and then he was able to control the game and I do think they used it a bit as a confidence builder for the run game because the Browns can't stop the run at all and I don't think all of a sudden the run game is fixed by any means but I do think confidence comes into play here and I think they'll be able to have a little bit more confidence especially with James Cook and with Devin Singh Singletary after the performances they had. And Singletary, to me, he's just been very consistent this year. I think he's been very efficient. Maybe a down game here or there for the entire group, but I think he's been very good. James Cook is the key. The confidence he showed. I think the way he ran, with the vision he ran, I I think James Cook is starting to turn the corner. Yeah, he looks dynamic. He looks like he just brings this offense an element that they haven't had in a while, which is weird because I have been banging the why isn't Naheem Hines being more utilized in the offense drum basically since he got here, and they didn't really need him in the second half of the game the other day because James Cook was so dynamic. He busted off a bunch of big runs. I still think James Cook 
has some things that he needs to improve on. I don't think he's a massive threat just running up the middle or anything based off of his size, based off of his skill set. But I do think they have a more dynamic one, two, and three running back option than they had with Zach Moss. Now you've got Singletary, you've got Cook, you've got Hines. I think they all can do something a little bit more, do a little bit of a higher level than Moss was able to when he was here. Let's just touch on the defense from Sunday. What an amazing job on Nick Chubb. I mean, here's a defense that had been run on a bit and some concerns there over the last several weeks going back to that Green Bay game. Obviously the fourth quarter, last drive against the Jets, and then, you know, one run by the Minnesota Vikings, otherwise not too bad. But, boy, for Nick Chubb to come in here, averaging 5.6 a carry, 100 yards a game. The Bills held him to less than two yards a carry. He had one 12-yard run outside that, Matt. 13 carries. I'm sorry, was it? Yeah, 13 carries for seven yards. I think that was it. Like, less than a yard of running. Negative, basically, outside that one run. It was maybe the first play of the game, offensively, but the Browns, I think, did a screen pass to Nick Chubb, and he took it for a really big gain. And I remember I was looking next to, I was sitting next to John Scott and Josh Reed up in the press box, and I asked them, why don't they just give the ball to Nick Chubb like every play, whether it's a screen pass or whether it's a run? And they both kind of laughed and said, yeah, there's people in Cleveland who think that they need to give it to him even more than they already do, but then the Bills were able to stop it. Now, they didn't completely shut him down in the passing game. The screen pass kind of bit the Bills a couple times, but I also think it was by design. I think they were making sure that if somebody was going to beat them, it was kind of like, okay, we are going to stop the run this week. We're going to make Jacoby Brissett be the person that beats us, and he made some nice throws. He had a nice game, but I almost think that was by design. It's the same thing with the Packers the other week. Their thought was, okay, you want to take these big chunk plays on the ground? That's fine. We're going to try and not let Aaron Rodgers burn us. This week, it was the opposite. It was, okay, we're going to stop the run, and we're going to make sure that Jacoby Brissett is the guy who's trying to take over, you know, go over the top. All right. I want to talk about the secondary in Cleveland, but I want to tie that into this week and what's happening here at One Bills Drive and what the situation is. 